This podcast is produced by EnergeticCity.ca, your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To support local news and this podcast, go to EnergeticCity.ca slash join to find out more. Now, an in-depth look at the news and information shaping our community. This is Moose Talks with your host, Doug Craig on Moose FM. Welcome to the show. A little later on today, we're going to meet Brandon Broderick, a Tumblr Rich photographer who is Canadian Geographic Magazine's Photographer of the Year. We'll talk a bit about his career roaming the wilderness of northern BC for that perfect wildlife photo, of which he has quite a few. They are stunning photographs. I can't wait to talk to him. But first, a snowmobiler tragically died last week in an avalanche near Chetwin. It's the first uh, avalanche death in B.C. so far this year. Uh, to talk a bit about how that death could have been prevented and some safety tips and training you really ought to have uh, while you're out and about in the Alpine backcountry, we're joined now by Dave McElhaney of Highmark Avalanche Safety. Dave, welcome to Moose Talks. Thanks. Thank you Glad so much be for being here. Uh, I mean... I think for people who don't necessarily know the whole story about what happened, I wondered if you could start by kind of telling us a bit about what happened to this uh, uh, snowmobiler. I know you weren't there personally, but, mm -hmm. you know, you, you've heard what yeah. happened and you know what's on the yeah. record. So. For sure. Uh, absolutely. So setting the stage a little bit, I guess, that weekend, uh, we hadn't had a lot of change in the weather for a couple of weeks, and so mm -hmm. things were pretty stable. And then we had a, a huge storm come in, and we had... Uh, over 50 centimeters of snow falling in just a little over a day. Wow. Um, so there was like a huge amount of new snow that got added into the system, so to speak, and it really kind of elevated the hazard uh, across the board. Uh, and in this situation, there was a group of three individuals. And again, like I say, what I'm I'm getting is, is reports from people that were there. I wasn't directly involved yeah. for the rescue or the recovery. Um, but there was a number of groups in the area, in the riding area at the same time. But this one group of three was kind of in the, doing their own thing and one of the riders triggered an avalanche on the slope. They were high marking, which is where individuals sit at the bottom of a hill and they take turns riding up the hill one at a time. Mm -hmm. And one of the individuals got stuck, and I think a second individual went up to try and help the stuck individual. So there was two on the slope. And then when it avalanched, um, there was one that was partially buried, the one that was fully buried, and then the one that ended up not being buried at all or not consequentially. So they were able to rescue the, the guy on the surface. Um, but unfortunately, because the individual who was buried didn't have a transceiver mm -hmm. uh, or a beacon, they weren't able to find him. Um, and so they ended up going to look for help to try and start a wider search. And they found a, a couple of other groups that were kind of in the area that responded to the call and they started searching and they were able to find him yeah. with a probe line technique. But unfortunately it took quite a lot of time to kind of get that going and, and it was too late by the time they found him. So is, is it hours we're talking about? It took them to find as far as I you know, I believe it was under an hour. Wow. Uh, I've heard anything from 40 minutes to an hour. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately like the window for an avalanche burial is so small. Um, the statistics we have right now are that you have about 10 minutes. Oh my is goodness. your window. Um, yeah. There's a lot of air inside snow, but it doesn't move well. So what happens when your face is buried, and you only need to be buried, you know, a couple of inches yeah. down, and then the carbon dioxide that you breathe just gets, forms a bubble in the snow around your head, and eventually you just exhaust all the oxygen in that little area immediate to you, and then you asphyxiate. Um, so it's, it's very similar to, like, putting a plastic bag over your head kind of, right? Like, there is air there, and you have yeah. a, a t amount of time, but 
it'll run out very quickly. So yeah, um, I think I read one story. I mean, you said it only takes a couple inches. I think he was in four feet. As, or the snowmobile yeah, was under Yeah, this individual was. Yeah, he was deeper than that. Um, but it still wasn't a, considered a deep burial. It was like a normal burial. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once they did locate him, they were able to dig him out very quickly with you know only a couple of minutes of digging time. So yeah. Man, what a tragedy! It's 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 even hard just to kind of hear about it. Mm-hmm. Let's let's break it down a bit. I mean, you said they triggered the avalanche. Was was there something they could have done differently, as far as you know, from what you've heard about what happened, that maybe wouldn't have triggered that avalanche? Or is that is that part of the risk when you it, go out? Is is I not mean, how do you avoid triggering an avalanche? But how is it you make sure that you can? be found in an avalanche or get out of the way of an so, avalanche? Yeah, absolutely. Those are both good questions. The first one is prevention, right? Like once you are caught in an avalanche, like once that happens, then you're at the mercy of physics. Yeah. And, and um, you know, it, there's really not a lot you can do. So the huge thing to do is prevention. Like just don't get there in the first place. Uh, and so a lot of education and safety is focused on that. Like just know where avalanches happen and know when to avoid them when the danger is high. Mm-hmm. Um Fortunately, avalanches consistently happen on slopes with slope angles of 30 to 45 degrees. So below that, there's too much friction and the snow won't move, even mm-hmm. if there is like a, a failure in the snow. And above that, the snow generally kind of self-stabilizes, you know, on 50 plus degree slopes. Hmm. You don't get a lot of avalanches there. So it's that 30 to 45 degree window where avalanches happen. Um, unfortunately, that's also where, you know, as skiers and snowmobilers, a lot of the best riding is found. Yeah. Um, but basically when the avalanche danger is high, like it was this past weekend, your best bet is to just choose different terrain and focus on areas with lower slope angles, um, and less consequence if something were to happen. So prevention, just not putting yourself in that situation is always the best place to start and Mm -hmm. sort of the number one thing you can do. Um, one thing you can do though if you are caught is wearing the proper safety gear. And so like airbag packs help, um, keep you either on the surface or at least closer to the surface if you are buried. Uh, but the biggest one is having that beacon because essentially it's a, uh, radio frequency device that sends out a pulse and yeah. other beacons can search for it. So if you're buried, um, and this, and the avalanche is, is stops moving and there's just this white parking lot of snow, right? And somewhere underneath there is a person, with a ticking clock and that transceiver or beacon when you switch it to search mode looks for the signal of that buried person and it just guides you straight in it's got arrows and numbers and it basically you just walk in this direction until you get right there to that localized area and then that's when you can start digging and, mm-hmm. and looking for them so that really you know that technology has saved a lot of lives because of yeah that um it shortens that window right yeah, um, and I, if I remember right, the snowmobiler did not have one of those. This whole group, his yeah. group did not have yeah. them. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, the other one is is take some kind of a course, get some education to know, you know, how to find better terrain, like how to make good terrain choices and how to get the gear and how to use the gear properly, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of avalanche safety courses focus on both of those things, like the prevention aspect and then also the rescue aspect. So if something, you know, do the best you can to avoid it, but then if something does happen then you have the tools and the skills and the training to know how to sort of, you know, take care of the problem. It's like first aid, right? Like the best thing to do is to not get hurt. But if you do, at least if you know CPR or or how to control bleeding, then Mm -hmm. you can keep it from getting worse. So with the the weather the way it's been, and I mean, I know we're in Fort St. John and the weather here will be different than it is there, but it's been 
was really warm up until mm-hmm. kind of the end of December. Yeah. Got really cold, got really warm again now this week. I mean, even where they were in kind of the Hasler riding area, mm-hmm. was that a factor in sort of the situation that maybe came it, about? It was just sort of it's this... part. It was definitely yeah. uh, the biggest single factor was that big storm, like yeah. that 50 centimeters of new snow. Um, it, the avalanche danger can change very quickly. Mm-hmm. Like it can, it can change in a matter of hours. Um, so it, it is very hard to sit here in Fort St. John or wherever and like look out the window and say, okay, I think this is what the avalanche danger is. Yeah. Um, but the, the, fortunately we don't have to kind of guess, like there's a really good forecasting system in place for the mountain areas, uh, through avalanche Canada. Like in Canada, we have one of the best public avalanche, um, forecasting and safety programs in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, we're widely considered a, a world leader in avalanche safety. And so there is a forecast for any area that you want to go ride and you can just go and see, you know, it's put out daily for everywhere in the Pine Pass, Tumblr Ridge, Southern BC, Northwestern BC, and you can go and see and they'll tell you, okay, you know, the danger is considerable today or the danger is low or the danger is moderate or whatever the danger is based on what's happening in that area. Mm-hmm. And then you can sort of like on their website, they break down you know, what does considerable mean? Like, what does that mean for you in terms of how likely an avalanche is to happen and, and how you should behave and stuff? So mm-hmm. we don't we don't really have a lot of guesswork to that, right? Yeah. Like, get that information, get that forecast before you go, and then you know what you should be expecting and sort of how to behave once mm-hmm. you get there. Does the current weather conditions, when, say, you're in the area... Mm-hmm. Does that play a huge role in what could cause an avalanche as well? Or is it really about, as you say, yeah, and I know it's a specific situation, but it was the 50 centimeters of snow kind of all at once that happened. But if it was a sunny day, if it was cold and windy, would it have mattered? It it can. Like, there's a lot of things that can affect uh, snow stability and and the likelihood of avalanches. Um, It's a a rabbit hole that you can fall way, way down. Um, But there's a lot of things, essentially anything that's a a big sudden change. So, you know, if it's been cold for a long time, then it gets really warm really quickly. Or if it's been really calm for a while and then we get a big wind event. Um, If it's been, you know, hasn't had any new snow for a long time and then we get a whole bunch of new snow. Uh, There's a whole bunch of different factors that can kind of contribute to an instability. Um, We could get rain. In the spring, when we get some really those first kind of really hot sunny days in in like April, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of different kind of factors that can sort of contribute to uh, stability, like avalanche likelihood and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, that's um, a lot of stuff to kind of pay attention to. Yeah. But the best thing for most people, like unless you really want to nerd out about weather and snowpack and stuff, the best way to do it is is just go get the forecast, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, it's like the weather. Like, you can sit here and decide, like, we want to know, like, should I wear a coat? Should I take a coat with me today, right? And you yeah. can talk about the 500 millibar flow and the high ridge of pressure building over Alberta and the frontal system in the Pacific. And really what you need to hear is there's a 70% chance of showers this afternoon. Cool. Taking a jacket with me. Yeah. Like, that's kind of what most of us need, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's there. The information is there for us to kind of go get it. Mm-hmm. So... Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I mean, you've already talked a bit about what you should be doing. So let's talk a bit more about that, whether you're snowmobiling, if you just you're hiking, you're ice climbing, whatever mm-hmm. it happens to be. And you're in the backcountry, in the Alpine backcountry. I mean, what are some of the things you should always have with you in these situations? Because an avalanche can happen, right? Yep. Um, really good question. So 
for the avalanche perspective, absolutely. The the three things you need are the beacon, the probe, and the shovel. Uh, the beacon is so that we can find you or that you can find the buried person. And then the probe and shovel are to find and then dig out that person. Because you can just imagine, you know, if you're trying to dig through four feet of snow with your hands, mm-hmm. it's not efficient, right? So a good, uh, small, lightweight aluminum shovel is is really key there, right? And a probe helps you localize the person. Once the beacon gets you to within a few feet of them, the probe helps you find them exactly where they are under the snow. And then the shovel gets you there. So those three pieces are kind of the the three most important avalanche safety pieces. Mm-hmm. And then there's a few other things, sort of bigger picture, just that you should have in general. Um, you should have some kind of first aid equipment. You should have some kind of a way to communicate, uh, whether that's like an inReach or, or Zolio. Like there's a ton of different technologies there now, yeah. but some kind of way to get help and let people know if something happens, even if it's not an avalanche, even if it's just, you know, like a, a twisted ankle or something, right? That you can reach out and, and get search and rescue or, or get a hold of friends or, or whatever. Um, and then just the basic kind of like food and water and clothing to be able to take care of yourself for longer than you expect. Like if mm-hmm. you're going for the day, think about what you would need if you had to spend a night. If you're going for two nights, think about what if you had to spend three nights. Yeah. And just kind of be prepared for things to be a little bit worse than you expect them to be. Yeah. And I suppose also like make sure that people who love you know what your plan is. Mm-hmm. Cause then if you deviate from it there may be something going on right and that's something search and rescue advocates for really hard is have a trip plan leave it with somebody and then let them know when you're going to be back so that they know when to start worrying so Mm -hmm. for for myself for example um i always let a couple of friends know hey i'm going i'm going here and i'll i'll check back in with you by 6 p.m or 9 p.m or Mm -hmm. whatever i expect right and then if something comes up and i'm going to be longer I have that in reach and I can just message to be like, Hey, you know, a sled broke down. We're going to be a couple hours later than we thought, but everybody's okay. You know, we're just going to be back at 10 instead of nine or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. But then we have a place to start, um, looking for you search and rescue then knows not only that you're missing, but also where you were going to go and what you roughly plan to do so that they're able to know where to start kind of that search process. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and then that's just, a really good habit to get into even like like hunting fishing jet boating just kind of outside year round yeah yeah all right one last thing here we got about a minute left with you here at dave mcelaney from highmark avalanche safety um somebody's listening now and say okay i could be better prepared i could use that training all that good stuff it's a good resource where can you start to kind of find out when can i get this training where where can i learn more about this I great suppose? question um so for avalanche safety, avalanche.ca is the place to go. Uh, that's the public page for the Avalanche Canada, which is the public forecasting body. Um, there's a huge, huge amount of information in their website, so go there. Um, for just general sort of backcountry safety, Adventure Smart is a, a program that Search and Rescue in BC runs, which is education and like outreach focused. A ton of information there. Um, and if you're looking for like specific avalanche education uh, my company highmark avalanche safety mm-hmm. uh we do avalanche courses for uh winter recreationalists so uh skiers snowshoers snowmobilers um showing you kind of like how all those things work and and how to put all the pieces together so all right well dave i really appreciate you taking a few minutes to chat with us today yeah thanks and, for having uh, me thanks for coming by absolutely appreciate well, it yeah no problem that's dave mcelaney Whoops, raw mic there. Dave McElhaney with Highmark Avalanche Safety. We'll be right back to uh, talk with Canada 
pardon me, Canadian Geographics Photographer of the Year, Brandon Broderick, right after this on Moose Talks. Welcome back to the show. I'm Dub Craig. My next guest is Canadian Geographic Magazine's Photographer of the Year. He's uh, won other awards from that magazine before, and his photography, by the way, is absolutely stunning. I suggest you uh, look him up right now and see some of these amazing photos he's taken. His name's Brandon Broderick, and I believe he's joining me from Tumblr Ridge this morning. Brandon, welcome to Moose Talks. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you. You're you're back home in Tumblr Ridge, right? If I got that right. <laughs> yes, I'm in Tumblr Ridge right now. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you uh, you had told me when we were setting this interview up, like you you've just come home from kind of another journey where you're out taking photographs, isn't that right? Yeah. So I was just up uh, in the Northern Rockies uh, near, basically between Fort Nelson and Watson Lake. Um, the reason I went up there is because originally I got an email saying I had two photos that were finalists in the, in the photographer of the year contest. And I, I was told you needed a minimum of three to become the overall winner. Oh. So I thought, I thought I was uh, a finalist in the wildlife category. So I was like, okay, well, I gotta, I gotta do better, I guess. So I need to book <laughs> another trip and go, go up there. So, um, yeah, so I ended up winning overall, which was a complete shock to me. Uh, but this trip was already booked. So I, I went and spent, it was, it was supposed to be up there for five days, but mm. I ended up being there for about eight. Um, yeah, just looking for links, not finding any of them. I, uh, I found fresh tracks on my seventh day there. Um, but you know, at some point I just had to get home. Wow. <laughs> so you, the first six days you had nothing seventh day you had a like a like a bit and it was like no i this just isn't gonna happen this time i guess so i mean that that's kind of got to be the story of your life as a wildlife photographer right i mean you're just roaming the hills hoping to catch some of these guys with some science attached of course following tracks and whatnot when did this start for you brandon when did you decide you know, I really like taking pictures of, of wildlife and I'd like to do this more. Uh, so I started, I bought my first digital SLR back in 2007 and it came with a small kind of cheap zoom lens, but I, I used it for black bears and, you know, Ontario wildlife where I'm from. And I eventually moved west and just got further and further into it. In the last 10 years, I've basically just done whatever job I need to, to pay the bills and put fuel in my tank to allow me to go out and keep trying to find wildlife to photograph. So it's just been, um, financially probably not the best call. Um, <laughs> but it's, uh, I have no regrets. It's, it's been, it's been fun. And yeah, like you said, it, it's definitely more normal than not to go out and come back without seeing anything, without even touching my camera. Uh, a lot of podcasts and music get listened to, so it's it's great. There is lots of entertainment out there because I, I do spend a lot of time in my vehicle, especially with the the lynx stuff because they can they can move far. There was a collared lynx in the Yukon that they tracked that just walked a thousand kilometers. Like wow. I, I I can't I can't walk that. That's yeah. into another province. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So I I spend a lot of time in the vehicle. Lots of time hiking too. If I find a good area that that looks good, then 
lots of hiking but yeah so about 15 ish years i've been doing this in total last 10 have been really focused and the last year i've been doing it full time mm -hmm. did you move to tumblr ridge in northern bc because you knew you know there's there's a lot of great wildlife up here or is that sort of like incidental that there was a job you came and you were like well look where i live <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I was in Terrace in the Northwest for just just under 11 years or so. Mm -hmm. um, and then my wife got a job here in Tumblr Ridge. So um, I was I was definitely interested in checking out this basically part of the province. You know, I spent a, a long time in the Northwest. Um, I've always wanted to do a photo book of the of all of northern BC. So I need to photograph the Northeast. So I I jumped on the opportunity to to come here. I was I was very excited when when she got the uh, the job opportunity. And I mean, there's dinosaur tracks here. Yeah, I don't know if people really realize that. There's you can see where a dinosaur walked. It's it's insane. So that's just really cool. And yeah, there's lots of wildlife here. Um, I don't get many good photos here though because there's just I don't know if it's the hunting pressure that a lot of these animals get or, or what it is, but they're they're a lot more skittish, less curious than I find uh, when I go into more remote places. Um, I know people people use dogs to chase cats, lynx, and cougars up trees to hunt them. So, yeah, it's a it's a tough life they have here, and I don't blame them for not wanting to uh, spend much time with me. But I do see lots here. But I, I do like to go to the Northern Rockies, uh, down to Jasper. You know, I just I try to. I try to branch out. And like I said, I'm trying to cover all of Northeastern BC. So, you know, I, I just, I just get out as much as I can. Mm -hmm. So you find you have more success kind of generally the more remote of an area you happen to be in just because the animals maybe haven't seen humans as much, I suppose. eh? there's that. And I mean, the flip side is also true though, because you can get, um, like if you go to Jasper, there's elk that are so used to people. Like you can go get tons of elk photos there all day long. Um, it yeah. So animals that are more habituated to humans, um, you know, except except for bears that are you know feeding on garbage and stuff. That's that's not good to yeah. uh, you know spend time with them to further their uh, uh, acceptance of humans. But uh, yeah, so I don't know. I just some animals are more more okay with it and it 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 differs between individuals within a species too like a, you know you can have a wolf that's real curious and wants to hang out and you can have the complete opposite one that won't even you know you, you see it from a kilometer away and it's already gone mm -hmm. so yeah that's why i like to put as much time in the field as i can and that just kind of uh you know eventually puts the odds in my favor do you find you you have to go out with kind of a goal in mind like I'm I'm trying to snap a photo of a brown bear or I'm trying to I think you've mentioned lynx is kind of your the Canada lynx is your favorite animal to photograph. Do you go out looking for that specifically and then, you know, obviously things can happen and you can end up with other photographs that you get. But when you're planning a trip is it like this trip I want to get this and I'm I'm hoping to capture maybe even this moment if i can if i'm lucky enough is that sort of how you prepare or do you find it's more like let's go up there and and sort of see what happens it it it, 
it happens both ways. Yeah. Um, like this most recent trip up north, links were my primary uh, focus, but I also wanted some snowy bison. Uh, I wanted a good moose photo. There's lots of stone sheep and caribou up there. So in this instance, links were my, um, you know, my goal, but I'm, I'm also open to other opportunities. I'm not going to be like, well, that's a bison. I'm here for links. I'm not going to waste my time with that. So, um, yeah. And then other times I just will pick a new, you know, resource road to drive down and just yeah. go and just, you know, kind of be open to whatever comes to me. Same with landscapes. Um, you know, if there's a waterfall, I really want to photograph, I can kind of have that, uh, more in my head, uh, compositions and stuff, especially if I've been there before. Um, and then other landscapes kind of happen just on the way looking for wildlife. Uh, so just being open to, you know, possibilities and different opportunities is, is pretty key. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm just rambling. I'm, yep. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's wonderful, Brandon. I, I love hearing about this. Uh, believe it or not, though, we're already uh, almost out of time. So I'm going to have to book you on to come on again because I feel like I have a thousand questions for you. But this final one sure. is, do you ever go out in the wilderness without your camera, with with the intention of just going for a walk? Or do you find I, I got to have it with me all the time? Because what if, what if I see this this moment unfolding? And I want to make sure I capture it. Yeah, I go out all the time without my camera. It's nice to not think about it and to just, uh, you know, we always have our phones with us. So there is some kind of camera, but in terms of, you know, wildlife, um, there's lots of opportunities where I've not had my camera, saw something amazing, you know. Well, you know, hopefully that happens again. It never does, but you, know, you got to hope for it. But then there's also times where I see something incredible and I have my camera and I'm still unable to get it just because uh, a lot of these moments are pretty fleeting. So, um, yeah, no, I do love just getting out, hiking, um, just being in nature. Yep. Wonderful. Well, Brandon, I'm really appreciative of uh, the time you made with us for this morning. Congratulations on being Canadian Geographics Photographer of the Year. And again, I'm going to have to have you, you on again sometime and we'll chat more. OK, thanks so yeah, much sure. for being here, Brandon. Yeah, thank you. You're very welcome. My thanks to Dave McElhaney and Brandon Broderick for joining us today. If you'd like to hear this episode again, or if you'd like to hear an old episode of Moose Talks, make sure you check out the energeticcity.ca podcast page. You'll find past episodes of this show there, along with episodes of Secrets of the North and Before the Peace, archived for your listening pleasure. Take some time to listen to some excellent locally produced podcasts today at energeticcity.ca slash podcast. That's our show. Jordan Prentice and Trey Lopashinsky are the producers of Moose Talks. I'm Dub Craig. Be well. Thanks for listening to this energeticcity.ca podcast. Energeticcity.ca is your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To help keep us independent and to support this podcast, go to energeticcity.ca slash join.